Good morning, everyone, and welcome to St. Luke's Sunday Forum. I'm Ed Bacon, the interim rector here at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in downtown Atlanta. And I am going to introduce now the second part of a two-part conversation with Robert P. Jones, um, a very valuable public intellectual for us in the United States at this time and the uh, author of two books I am promoting. He's written four or five, but the last two books were entitled, one, The End of White Christian America, and second, his most recent book, Quite Too Long. Let me tell you why he, his thinking, his writing, and these books are so important. We find ourselves in a very important point in history, I believe. The pandemic we are enduring has lifted up for us many things, and I do believe that the pandemic is a portal into something quite new in American history and also in global history. Having said that we are at an important point in our development and I think evolution, um, I want to say that part and parcel of the change going on is in religion itself and particularly in Christianity. We have been noting for quite some time that there is a dramatic increase in the number of people who say that they are spiritual but not religious and who are unaffiliated and who check the box n-o-n-e-s many people who are sociologists of religion notice the increase in the rise in nuns in the unaffiliated that is particularly the case in people who are 30 years and younger. And the institutional church must not only be aware of that, but ask some very soul-searching questions about why. And Robert Jones, our guest last Sunday forum and today, has some very profound contributions to make in our understanding of what has happened. Two books, The End of White Christian America and White Too Long. In The End of White Christian America, which came out in 2016, this person who is the founder and CEO of PPRI, Public Religion Research Institute, which takes a look at religion and culture and politics in the interspace of those three areas, had said that not only are the demographics changing in the United States of America such that the end of white Christian America is in sight, but we also have to understand that in addition to all of the contributions that white Christian America made, it also got some things wrong. And that has to do with 
race, sexual orientation and inclusion, and an understanding of the relationship between religion and power. We're going to put aside all but the one having to do with race right now, because we really are in an inflection point in what some people are calling racial reconciliation, um, the dismantling of systemic racism, uh, the end of white supremacy. No matter what your vocabulary is, and we get into the vocabulary and the importance of the words we use in both forums, both last Sundays and this Sundays, whatever you use, the reality is that there has been an unfortunate correlation between religion and racial inequality, particularly in white Christianity. In his books, he exposes with great courage, I think, the fact that certain brands of white American Christianity were designed to support a theology and an ideology of white supremacy or white segregation or separate but unequal or there being a caste system related to race or there being a hierarchy of human value with white men at the top of the totem pole and then everyone else in descending order. And that a lot of theology has been written and designed to uphold that system. I want to focus on the word system here. In his books, Robert Jones talks about how the toolkit for Christian life, white Christian life, has been to focus on the personal and the interpersonal and not the institutional and not the cultural. And that keeps us from understanding racism as a system in which we swim, as opposed to identifiable racists or having racists moments. I want to underscore that in this Sunday's forum, we really do try to unpack that business of having um, cognitive scaffolding that sees religion focusing only on the personal and the interpersonal and not on the institutional and not on the cultural. And when that happens, you don't have the cognitive architecture to see racism as a system. Now, Robert Jones says many, many times in our conversations, these are truths we need to sit with. He repeats that phrase two or three or four or five times. These are uncomfortable, inconvenient truths. If we, however, are to understand this moment, this pivotal moment, this very important moment, we are going to have to understand the deepest story that tells the account of 
everything that's going on. And too frequently, we tell a story that is too superficial, that is just about us. I encourage so much storytelling conversations these days so that we can understand the stories people live with, particularly people who are different from us. Someone told me the other day that their whole mind was changed. The Christian word for that is conversion, is a true transformation. That their mind was changed when an African-American friend of his she said that she did not know any African-American men who had not been stopped while driving black. And all of a sudden, he was hearing a story he had never heard before. And now he is in the process of expanding the story he tells himself about reality. Stories determine the systems we live in. They have that kind of power. That's why we in Christianity love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. When we tell a love-based story about God, when we tell a love-based story of wholeness and God, we then create a different system because of the story we're telling. If we tell a fear-based story of exclusion and separation, then the systems we build, both theological, relational, business systems, economic systems, and geopolitical systems are gonna be very, very different and they are gonna be exclusionary. They're gonna move towards separating people and move toward polarizing and dividing people as opposed to cohesion, bringing people together, and the story of oneness. Robert Jones, in these two conversations, really helps, I think, illuminate what the story is of white Christian America and how the story of white Christian America is a story that has promoted a caste system, system, a hierarchy of human value. In other words, a distortion of what Jesus and his love are all about. And so what Robert Jones did, a very courageous thing, I think, is to look back into his past in Georgia, in Mississippi and in Texas, and look at the story that was promoted by the uncritical examination. An unexamined life is not worth living. A critical examination of his religious history and story. And we are fortunate that he shares all of that in these two books. And we talk mostly about 
quite too long, this latest book. Now, a reason why this had to be a two-part forum. I videoed the first conversation and we aired it last week. Then I heard the interview that he had with Terry Gross on Fresh Air. I commend that you Google that and listen to it. It's a very important conversation. Robert Jones, Fresh Air. I listened to that and I heard on a deeper level than in my first reading of the parts of his book that I could digest before our conversation. The importance of an issue, and that is the issue of individualism, the, the religion of individuals. Yes, we are individuals, but we are not individualistic. We are not separate from the whole. There is a myth of the separate self that is out of alignment with Jesus, with God, and with all true religion. It's also out of alignment with ecology and there being an ecosystem which is to say that each person and each individual is a part of the whole. So to emphasize the individual without also emphasizing the individual being part of the whole is individualism. And this hyper-individualism of white Christian America or certain, or certain brands of white Christian America really get in the way of our understanding the impact of our religion and our theology on other people who are considered other. So I wrote him and I said, can we have one more conversation? He graciously gave himself for another um, shorter, briefer conversation than the first, than last Sunday. So I'm simply introducing that conversation now. It's a 29-minute conversation. And I wanted to um, simply explain why I felt it important for us to take a look critically at individualism and how it gets in the way of our understanding our mission. Now, I want to quote one of the most important passages in his book, Quite Too Long, when he talks about the problem of individualism and he, he writes, quote, individualism causes us to aim lower than the highest human values of love, justice, equality, and compassion. My friends, the distinguishing characteristics of Jesus as a full human being, as a human being who expressed the full bloom of God and 
divine mystery in his life was because he was a person of love, he was a person of justice, he was a person of equality, and he was a person of compassion. And individualism, hyper-individuality in any religion causes us to aim lower than these highest human values. At this point in history, and at this point in my life, I want to aim higher. I want to let the fullness of the divine mystery come into bloom in my life and in your life, in the life of St. Luke's and the life of every gathered community. So that is why I wanted us to have the second part. Thanks very much for watching. And the subsequent Sundays this August and the first Sunday in September are going to be different perspectives on a similar story. And that is that the story we tell ourselves creates the systems we live in. And that story and those stories determine whether or not the systems we live in are going to be systems of love, justice, equality, and compassion. I hope that you will listen and sit with whatever makes you uncomfortable, because that's what I'm doing these days. I think that's what all of us are doing, sitting with what makes us uncomfortable, praying that God's Spirit will transform us into fuller expressions of the divine spark in each one of us. Thank you very much. And now is the second part of my interview with Robert Jones. Welcome again to St. Luke's Forum. We are having another conversation, a second conversation with Robert P. Jones, the author of White Too Long, his most recent book, and also The End of White Christian America, uh, one of my favorite books of all time, which actually may be replaced by White Too Long. <laughs> oh, thank and you. we'll get into that in, uh, into that just a minute. We need an explanation about the fact that we are now having two Sunday forums with Robert P. Jones. It is because, uh, number one, I interviewed him about uh, his book, his new book. And um, I think I understood the basic argument. Uh, I'll put it in my terms that um, white American Christianity has been and still is a delivery system for white supremacy. And that uh, I got my hard copy. I'd, I'd been given a galley proof by, by Robert and now my hard copy came. And as I continue to read it, I really needed to go more deeply uh, about two particular issues. And there are many more issues to explore. But that's enough for the rationale for our being here for the second Sunday. Uh, let me just stop and welcome you again, Robert Jones. I'm really grateful to you. Oh, Ed, I'm, I'm glad, to, glad to be here, glad to be back. Good deal. <laughs> and um, 
this is going to be followed or preceded, Robert, by uh, a few minutes of my just talking about the role that your books are playing in my own spiritual journey mm. of healing, of re-narration, of realizing that uh, my theological worldview had to be deconstructed. And I have been for quite a number of years on a reconstruction journey. And um, this newest book of yours, Quite Too Long, is helping me immeasurably and in profound ways around one of the issues of my journey and healing and reconstruction and re-narration. And it has to do with an individualism and individualistic set of lenses by which to look at all of life. And what you are, in my mind, bravely and courageously, as well as elegantly stating, is that that has been part and parcel of promoting white supremacy, the individualist, as you call it, toolkit. So let's, we only have you for a few minutes today. Will you please unpack that argument a bit? Yeah, thanks, Ed. Um, that's a really generous introduction. And, you know, I should say, um, uh, I, I, I do feel a fair amount of humility around this because it has come to me so late in my own journey, in my own life. Um, I'm, as I look back on it, it, it is um, uh, challenging that um, it didn't come earlier to me, you know, these, these insights, but I think it's one of the power, I think it's a testimony to its power. Yes. Um, um, that it, it is, a, is a very powerful theological paradigm that um, uh, hides a lot of things, right? And I think that's one of the, if you think about it as a lens, it makes certain things very clear and it makes certain things very blurry. Um, and so one of the things that I think this individualism and, and the way that this, I think, particularly in the South, particularly in evangelical traditions, but I think even uh, in other traditions, uh, you know, mainline traditions as well, to the extent that a personal relationship with Jesus um, gets centered, um, and now that sounds uh, like, I, if I, I can hear my old evangelical self saying, like, well, what else is there, right? I mean, that is the, uh, but I think that's the point, is um, to the extent that, that a personal relationship with Jesus becomes the beginning and the end of what it means to be Christian, of what it means to be religious, of what it means to be faithful, you know, pick your terms, um, that is such a limiting vision of what it means to be Christian. And, uh, you know, more insidious than that, it, that is um, the way that white supremacy gets hidden. Uh, it's one of the central ways that, that white supremacy gets hidden from white Christians is by constricting um, Christianity to really be about this interior, affective, personal, you know, kind of psychological, cognitive relationship with, with Jesus and God. What gets screened out of that and what becomes very blurry, if it's seen at all, um, are claims to justice. You know, so um, as we discussed um, last time, you know, I grew up uh, going to church five times a week as a kid. I have a seminary degree. You know, and it was very late in life, certainly never growing up in any of the churches I went, I never heard a sermon about uh, uh, social justice, about racial injustice, about civil rights, about 
whites complicity um, in segregation and slavery, none of that, you know, it came through. Um, and, and, but what I, what I think is notable is that um, if you think about the seedbed, right, of white Christianity and how it developed in the country, right, we, we were a country, um, even if you weren't in a colony or a state that um, uh, was, was a slaveholding state, um, nonetheless, Christianity itself had basically conformed itself to an a priori uh, commitment that white supremacy was okay. And even after the Civil War, um, it, even as slavery fell away, this idea of white supremacy remained alive and well and, and, and with us and, and never quite got purged. And one of the ways that that was allowed to happen is that you can sort of cordon off um, those claims of social justice if religion is only about a kind of personal relationship with Jesus. Um, that way of thinking about it meant that your salvation was secure, your uh, psyche was secure, uh, you felt safe, and frankly, could even feel quite smug, um, even while um, all this injustice is, is um, raging, you know, all, all, all around you. So uh, that, um, I think, is one of the central challenges, and it is a big challenge because that is such a central um, teaching of, of much of white Christianity that that, that, that really is, again, the beginning, of the beginning and the end of, um, of Christianity. So I'm going to follow with kind of three sub questions underneath yeah. that you you just touched on. First, I want to rush to say I frequently must emphasize when I'm articulating a critique that is resonant with the critique you've just expressed, and that is that the personal relationship with Jesus is the whole thing and it comes across as individualistic and private mm -hmm. and that there is nothing in religion if it's going to be reconnecting us religare that is private because there is no such thing as a separate individual in god's creation and quantum physics teaches us that as well as physiology and da 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 on and on and on. And people say, well, what about the personal aspect? And I have to rush to say, this does not outlaw personal relationship with the creator or the uh, enfleshment of the creator, i.e. Jesus. We still have this personal relationship. It's not, however, an exclusive privatistic separatist relationship yeah can i jump in just real quick on that oh point? absolutely uh, yeah, yeah yeah no because I, I, I that's really helpful um to hear you say that and you know one of the things that i also i think became very quickly aware of is how um, white christianity has policed um the political over the religious right this boundary as if there's some natural boundary but what it, but one of the things that it, where that shows up um, most often, I think, is when there are claims uh, to social justice, right? And, and they, oh, well, that's just political. That's not about religion. That's over here. And it, it, there's a way in which there is a defensiveness in white Christianity uh, to dismiss anything that threatens uh, that assumption, right? Anything that threatens the status quo, um, anything that's going to unsettle, um, you know, kind of society being set up, really, for the benefit of white, uh, white lives over black lives, um, it gets dismissed as political. And, and so I, I would say like one key warning sign for me 
now is that if I hear someone saying, oh, well, that's just political. We shouldn't be talking about that at church. Um, to me, that's a sign uh, that this legacy of white supremacy may be rearing its head. That's very powerful. So my second sub-question, thank you, is I'm going to quote you back to yourself. <laughs> On page 105. So scary. I know. On page 105, you say um, that white supremacy is obviously dangerous and violent and absolutely life-taking for people of color. What we frequently don't understand is that it is of such disadvantage to white people as well, because here says Robert Jones, individualism causes us to aim lower than the highest human values of love, justice, equality, and compassion. That you could go through being a white Christian with the emphasis on individualism all your life and be a really good, um, I don't know, embodiment of that and still have your life aimed lower than the highest human values. Mm. Yeah. Well, I came to that after actually reading a lot of the debates around slavery, you know, and, and that um, the, you know, on the one hand, the, the defenders of slavery, I, I think in many, many times had the best biblical literalist arguments, right? I mean, You've got slaves obey your masters right out of the scripture, you know, yeah. right there. Um, so uh, plenty of mentions of slavery without condemning it in the scriptures. So, you know, there was a more straightforward argument. And, and often the abolitionist arguments that were also drawing on um, Christianity were having to make a little higher principle arguments about love, the brotherhood of all human beings, uh, that we're all created in the image of God. They were kind of these higher theological concepts. And some of the retorts from the, you know, uh, the defenders of slavery were, you know, they would literally say, like, you, you, you shouldn't be making yourself, uh, you know, uh, more humane than God, mm. uh, right? Um, th that the Bible tells us that's the limits of God's justice and God's design for human society, even if it looks cruel, even if it looks uh, unequal, even if it is like soul crushing uh, to whole sectors of human society. That's the way God wants it, and our job is to submit uh, to what the Bible tells us to, right? And and that that I think you know, uh, just grinding of the gears, you know, there, um, where where I think I, you know there is this kind of prick of conscience where you think, like, can that be right? Can that be right? You know, right. Um, and and I think that that again, that's a, a challenge for us. I think when we feel that, you know, I would call that like a movement of the spirit, right, over against a literal reading of the Bible, um, and that uh, we should pay attention to those those times. But I think that's where it, it came to. Defenders of segregation were, were in many ways the same way. I mean, Ross Barnett, the governor of Mississippi, you know, was um, as late as 1960 when he was running for governor, would say on the stump, God is the original segregationist. Yeah. You just say it that flatly, you know, yeah. and, and justify it with, with Christianity. Um, and you couldn't appeal to the consequence to negative consequences because it was grounded in this assertion that this is the way God wanted human society to be with some people up here and some people down here. 
um, and actually to, to work for equality or justice would be in that view to go against the will of God. Yeah. I think I knew in the depths of my heart, in my conscience, that I was leaving the Southern Baptist Church and becoming an Episcopalian when I heard W.A. Criswell, who I think is kind of the Baptist Pope of those days. Sure, First Baptist Dallas. Yeah. First Baptist Dallas. And he preached, God is a segregationist God. And I knew that that was a lie. And my friend Richard Rohr says that people, everybody who kind of adheres to this, even those people are kinder than the God they're promoting. And so let's, let's have a God, let's deconstruct that God. I want to become an atheist. I, I promote atheism about that God and have a reconstruction of a God who's as kind, if not kinder than we are. So I've got to rush on to the third sub-question sub and then my final question. So the third one is, uh, not only do you bring this up, but other writers are doing the same thing, saying one of the problems that a certain segment of Christianity is having with looking at racism as a system rather than as a moment is because systemic thinking is not available to their cognitive architecture. It's all about personal and interpersonal. And when you get to the institution and, and cultural, they don't exist because the individualistic lens is the only lens. And you make that point. Yeah, I, I do think that's right. I mean, and in the book, again, it's really remarkable in the current public opinion data. Um, and again, you know, it, it these patterns that I'm talking about aren't just among white evangelicals. I mean, they are among Thank the you. home of the Episcopal Church, right? Thank the you. white mainline Protestant denominations. They're, they are at home among white Catholics. And, and what we see is we, whenever we're asking, you know, questions like, um, I may have mentioned this before, but I think it's a good um, window in, when you ask questions like, are the killing of African-American men by police um, isolated incidents, or are they part of a pattern? of how police treat African-Americans. That goes right to the heart of the matter. Um, and it's stunning to see that white Christians, um, by and large, cannot connect the dots. Um, they tend to see these as isolated incidents, a few bad apples, but do not connect the dots into it being a structural, systemic issue. Um, and here is what I think will really worry white Christians. Uh, you know who does see that? Whites who claim no religious affiliation. Um, right. So actually, you see Christianity actually putting the kind of moral blinders on. And it is that individualism that I think just screens out, um, you know, the, the ability to see these structural uh, structural patterns. Um, and, and it's just so clear um, in the data. I mean, they're they're like twice as white Christians of any kind are like twice as likely as whites who claim no religious affiliation uh, to say these are isolated instances versus um, part of a pattern. Yeah. That's really chilling uh, to, to see, to realize that I have lived in and frequently revert back to, default back to, a mental architecture that cannot see any levels other than my personal and interpersonal levels. Um, that there are cultural and institutional and political realities out there 
in which we swim all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, I think one thing that's been helpful to me is that I think that's right. It is really hard uh, for whites and white Christians to sit around in a circle and try to talk themselves out of out of this uh, conundrum that we're out of this trap, really, that we're talking about. Uh, but, you know, one thing that, you know, I've tried to sort of think hard about is um, if our African-American brothers and sisters are telling us that something is a problem, one way to help ourselves out of this kind of moral blind spot we have is even if that makes absolutely no sense uh, on at first blush to kind of sit with it long enough and say, okay, maybe this is one of those times where the kind of cultural theological blinders I've got on are limiting my ability to see what's going on. Um, and I should just sit with this for a while until it, and, and I should have some conversations uh, and, and say, can you explain this to me? Like, because I, I honestly, I don't see it it's not resonating with me, but I'm fully aware that I may be carrying carrying with me this legacy, right? That 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 is even without my knowing it, limiting what I can and can't see. We're trying to um, incarnate some guidelines, which include paying attention to the fact that there is both intent and impact, and I can have such great interpersonal intent and have such oppressive, negative, life-sucking um, impact on other people. Well, I must go to the, my last question. Okay, so we have to deal with, we have to address the issue of what do we do? Um, and I would love for you to answer that via the conundrum of being people who are walking around in white skin in America in 2020. What do we do about the issue of whiteness? And if you don't yeah. mind, we'll take that to what well, we Well, you know, I, I titled the book White Too Long. I kind of tried to go straight at this. Um, and, you know, that, um, I think we covered this last time, is, is a quote from James Baldwin, um, actually. Yes. And um, you know, and, and Baldwin, I think, is so helpful here, I think, for, you know, I, I think, like, every white Christian ought to read The Fire Next Time, um, uh, for sure, um, and, and any other piece of writing you can get your hands on from James Baldwin, because I think he holds up a mirror um, in, in such a helpful way that I have found so personally helpful. But, you know, he had a way of flipping the script, and, you know, in the, in the 1960s, as people were trying to sort out uh, segregation and the civil rights movement was um, kind of, you know, at, at hand, um, a lot of white people would be talking about the Negro problem, right? So what are we going to do with all these African Americans, um, you know, who have been kept down for so long and now are wanting equality? What do we do? And, and there was like article after article talking about, quote, the Negro problem. And, you know, he also wrote this piece called the white problem. Um, and I think it's so helpful. And like one of the things, you know, it's of course um, not true, right? That we are all, that we, people who look like us, um, uh, are literally walking around in white skin, right? Um, the, the, I mean, he, he basically says, look, no one uh, who's currently in America, if you trace your heritage back uh, to a country of origin, uh, no one understood themselves to be white in the way that we do today until they got here, um, right? So my ancestors were Welsh, Right. Um, so I would have talked about if I were a first generation uh, who came, you know, my, my uh, ancestors came to this country 
in the mid 1700s, right? And and I would be, I would have said I was Welsh, um, or my people are Welsh, or French, or British, or German, um, right? But you get here, right? And there, and so whiteness gets created um, as this kind of umbrella term. Um, but it's really about power. It's really about who is in the position of power and who gets to claim admission um, to the most privileged, you know, positions in the country, which jobs you can get, which neighborhoods you can live in, uh, which uh, laws apply to you, which ones don't. Um, I mean, this was all who can vote, who can't, um, you know, from top to bottom, uh, this, this umbrella idea of whiteness. And I, I think that I, I had to sit with that for a while, you know, of kind of understanding like, oh, okay, that's what that's about, right? And there's really a history in this country of people really clamoring to get admission to that category of whiteness. Um, you can see this in uh, Jewish Americans, uh, for example, who were um, at the turn of the century, uh, weren't classified as white or Caucasian, were classified as Hebrew um, on the census forms. Uh, Irish uh, people who were Catholic weren't classified as white, they were classified as Celts on the census form. So, you know, there's this history of um, kind of clamoring for admission to this, um, uh, to this category of whiteness because it is a category of privilege and power um, in, in the country. And so I think understanding that history, just being a little more circumspect about that. Um, and, um, you know, I think even, even things like, you know, these DNA tests that, that folks could do, right? I mean, if you do that, you sort of see, like you see your geographic origin and you see kind of, you know, the mix of your ancestors, but nowhere on that is like, declaration of white you might be somewhere from western europe but it's likely a mix of a lot of things um and many of those those tests so i think again even deconstructing this idea and i've even tried in my own head to kind of think of you know like so we're people who talk about ourselves as white um you know that's really what we are um and and that has meant that we're claiming admission to a certain cultural group um and there's real advantages uh, to to having that claim not be disputed Right. Um, so if I can claim to be white, I'm in part of that group. And that's my self-understanding. And everyone accepts that. Um, it does mean that I, I am in a group that has more privileges, um, both historically and even even today um, than, than we have had um, than, than other groups have had. So I, I think sitting with the idea of whiteness and really with Baldwin, just realizing that, yeah, OK, um, yeah, this this really is an invented term um, and really uh, has been mostly exploited, um, you know, really in the, in the U.S. context with this mixing of people from all kinds of other countries that would have really understood themselves as something else. But it was a shorthand way of saying we are members of the group that's in power. That is so helpful. I, I, and, and we do have to close. I, I want to repeat something that you said in our first conversation, which I have been telling a lot of other people as a way of expressing my excitement about your being our, our forum guest. You said, if I remember you correctly, and these are the notes that I took, you cannot apologize and confess and think that you're, that's going to take you to reconciliation. You have to go from awareness to justice and repair slash restitution, and then there'll be reconciliation. So I'm sitting, I love your phrase. You've repeated it several times. I had to sit with that. Mm. I am sitting with the fact, I feel sorry. I really do. And I, that's, that's sincere. 
that ain't going to get me to the new beautiful world that I know is possible until we go through justice and restitution slash repair, which calls forth the whole issue about reparations and the story you tell about Virginia Theological Seminary in your book. In other words, my friends, you all have got to get this book and read it. Quite Too Long by Robert P. Jones. Robbie, thank you so much for giving us both of these conversations. And oh, thanks, Ed. I'm so, so thrilled to be here with you, and, and thanks for the engaging conversation. You're very, very welcome. Goodbye, everyone. See you next Sunday.